why don't you lift your hands and your voice to the Lord and just begin to magnify Him for a moment. Lift your voice. We praise you in this place. Magnify you, God. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Thank you for letting Ashley and I be with you today. And uh, July 10th, I'll be married to that girl 15 years. I cannot believe it's been 15 years ago. Amen. How many are thankful to have a good leadership team and a great pastor? Say thank you to Pastor Chance for letting me be here. And my best friend in the world, Lord Chance, and I love their family. How many appreciate just all of your leadership here at this church? It's been a a couple of years ago... um, I decided to try to lose a little weight, and I lost about 35 pounds and tried to get in the gym a little bit and get a little more healthy. And it's been about six months ago that uh, I was in my house, and my little seven-year-old, his name is Bryston, he said, uh, he looked at me and he said, Dad, you kind of look like John Cena. Looking around, I was like, you know what? I do look like John Cena, don't I? He's a crafty little dude. You have to understand this. He said, do you think that you can beat up John Cena? In my mind, I was thinking, yeah, if I had a lot of help. But to him, I said, well, yeah, I can. He said, do you think that I can beat you up? In my head, I was thinking, yeah, you got a lot of help. But to him, I said, Absolutely, you can. He said, so you're saying I can beat up John Cena. I'm going to go tell all my friends at school. Anybody struggling with anything today? Anybody just feel weighted down by anything? Look at somebody and say, will I ever overcome this? And look back at that same person and say, yeah, if you got a lot of help. I'm going to know that the Lord is on your side. You don't have to fight all your battles all by yourself. Amen. I want to preach just a little bit today, if I can. But the Lord told me I had 35 to 40 minutes. He said 35 if you're doing bad, 40 if you're doing good. And then he said shave 10 off of that and you can. So we'll just see where we end up at, okay? Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, that word can also be the word hell. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all of your ways and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again into your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains. 
I went down to the land whose barbs closed upon me forever. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving will I sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. And notice, if you're reading this original language, there's an exclamation point on this. It gives emphasis to it. And he begins to shout, salvation is of the Lord. Notice he says two things. I remembered the steadfast love of God. And I realized where my salvation came from to begin with. And it's at that moment that the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. If you read the end of the book of Jonah, chapter number 4, the Lord's having a conversation with, with him and he says, the Lord begins to speak to him and says, Hey, look, there's 120,000 people that don't know the right hand from the left hand and they got a bunch of cows. And that's just the end of the book. There's no part two. Don't pick it up in the New Testament. That's just the end of it. Okay, It's a weird way to end uh, that particular book. There's no more conversation. It just drops off right there. So we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. Genesis 3 and 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Let's put our Bibles down and begin to pray. Lord, we praise you and we magnify in this place that the Holy Ghost flow minister to somebody's heart. In Jesus' name. Can you clap your hands unto the Lord? Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Uh, my, my brother-in-law, um, at the beginning of the year, a couple of years ago, the church was trying to solicit people to come and be a part of, of the choir. And if you ever thought about singing the choir, be a part. And so he knew, he told me, he said, I knew that I couldn't sing, but you know what? I wanted to be a part, and I figured that my voice could kind of blend in with everybody else. And it was just a couple of weeks after that that we had a man by the name of Dennis Gates come in, and he did uh, a music weekend for us and a choir clinic, and they had everybody singing, and they were all up there singing this song. And Dennis, because he knows music, he realizes something is off. And so he says, I want this group, it's the Sopranos, to sing. They started singing. He said, okay, I want you to stop. I want... I want the other group of the ladies to start singing the altos. Y'all sing. And, and then he said, stop. Then he had all of the guys begin to sing the tenors. And then he started beginning to shut down rows. He said, okay, I want this row to stop. Y'all keep singing. This row, stop. Y'all keep singing. He said, Brian said they narrowed it down between him and one other guy. And Dennis was up in his ear. He said, I already knew that I couldn't sing. I didn't need Dennis Gates to tell me that I couldn't sing. He was sweating bullets. And uh, that was the end of his choir career at the end of that. If you live long enough in this world, instinctively you know that something's off, that something's not right. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 says that God had placed eternity into the heart of man. And somehow we're deep wired, deep wired within us. We know that everything is not how it should be. We know that, how many know that the world is busted up bad? If you don't believe me, you can ask a parole officer, you can ask a social worker or a foster care parent, 
you can ask an oncologist. Some people's jobs keep them on the front lines where they see the brokenness of humanity in a way that we do not see it every day. They see what's messed up about human existence. They see sexual predators soliciting nine-year-olds on the Internet. They see teenagers slicing thin lines into the skin of their inner forearms. They see bruises and they see marriages falling apart. They see this every single day. And if you don't have an opportunity to talk to one of them, you can talk to a cancer doctor and an oncologist. I don't know what they get paid, but it's not enough because they have to watch people. People that are maybe 5 years old or 10 years old, someone that might be 80 years old. They have to watch as their bodies waste away, as cancer eats them alive, and they know that something isn't right. Pastors see it every single day. They're the ones on the scene of an accident when something's take place that has caused the brokenness of a heart or a family. They're there when they have to talk to people's marriages being broken apart. They're there when they see people that have been hooked on all kinds of drugs and they see lives begin to fall apart. So we see this in a way that most people don't see it every single day. But every once in a while, a huge event will happen. And everybody else that's living in the fog, that fog will lift and they'll see that something isn't right with the world. Some big event will take place and they'll know this is not how it should be. They'll have somebody that is a terrorist fly a plane into a building. You'll have Another uh, newscast go forth about a man walking into a building full of school children and shooting up that building. And people will step back during that time and say, we got to call on God because something's not right. You'll, you'll, see a, you'll see a flood come into an area. You'll see a tornado come in and mess up all kinds of stuff. And we realize that the world is not how it should be. But most of the time, though, It's not the unexpected and the extreme that shows us how broken the world is, but more what we would call a low-grade gnawing deep in our gut, an inability to never be totally satisfied by any event or experience that happens to us. Because weekends and vacations are great, but they're not long enough. You go to a concert with people, and for a while, your mood will lift. But then the band will go to the next town, and, and that feeling that you have will dissipate. It will go away. You'll, you'll be in a, in a stadium full of people saying, who that? Cheer on the Saints, and you'll see a fourth quarter comeback, and you'll cheer on Drew Brees. But then the stadium empties out. And you go back home and next thing you know, you're packing your lunch and apple for your, your, your job the next day. And, and there's nothing that totally satisfies us. And we try to feel that longing in our heart. There's something. We know that something isn't right. We know that it's not right. And we try to feel it. We try to make ourselves happy with so many different things. How many know that in order for good news to be really good, like the gospel is good. I mean, note the gospel is the good news. But in order for it to be good, it has to invade bad spaces. When you go to a doctor and you get, you get some blood work done, and they come back and they tell you that you, you don't have any cancer, that's good news. But it doesn't really affect you if you weren't 
expecting the worst to begin with. But if you've had a knot somewhere and you've had some testing done and you've sat in the waiting room and you're waiting for those tests to come and you're waiting for that phone call, when you get that phone call, when you expected it to be bad and they come back and say there's good news, you don't have cancer, then good news is really good because it invaded some bad places for you. When you ask somebody to marry you and they say yes, that's good news. Right? It's really good if the chance that she could have said no. Because the worst things get when you get good news. It begins to invade that bad space and you realize how good that news really is. It's the bad parts of what we see and feel around us that they serve A purpose in God's mission to recreate something that has been lost and destroyed. They keep reminding us of realities we'd soon forget, yet He uses them to goad us and lead us toward an even fuller universe of truth. And so whenever you can't be totally satisfied by something you've tried to put in your life, a relationship, a job, a better version of you, when you can't get rid of that gnawing in your heart, when you know that something's right, when your world is best busted up, and you hear that there is the good news of Jesus Christ, that He can feel that longing in your heart, that He can recreate something good in your life, then you're like, that is really good news. If you've been hooked on drugs and alcohol, and you hear the message that God can free you of that. That's really good news because you've been in some bad places in your life. I want you to know that God didn't create it this way. In Genesis 1, you begin to read it. God creates things. He speaks powerful words that accomplishes the creation of all things. And when he looks at each day after he's finishing, finished, made, whatever he did that particular day, he steps back and he said, it is good. Rory didn't have anybody around him to compliment. You ever done anything good and there wasn't anybody around you to say it was good? You're like, man, I really wish they could have seen this. God didn't have anybody around, so he made it. Didn't have anybody to say, hey, man, that's pretty good. So he just said, you know what? Good job. He creates things on day number six. He stops speaking things into existence, and then he gets into the dirt And he forms man in his own image. And then he invades his personal space because he gets right up next to him and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Then he told Adam, you're to have charge of naming all the animals. And he made all the animals come before Adam. And whatever Adam named them, that's what they were. And he began to name them crocodile, bull, snake, all of these different things. And God sees that man is alone, that it's not good for man to be alone. So he puts Adam into a deep sleep and he pulls a rib out of him and he makes Eve. And when Adam wakes up, uh, he, he, he looks at this. He's named everything else, crocodile, snake, all that kind of stuff. But when he looks at her, he uses two words, two Hebrew words, wohomin. We get the word woman from it. Wohomin means mine. He said snake, crocodile, mine. That's mine. That's what he says. And then God looks at it and says, it is good. If you read the act of creation itself in the original language, it happens uh, in a rhythmic kind of fashion. God creates, God creates, God creates, and it is good. He created star systems and mountains and deserts, and he made man. But there was something about his world that he made that was greater than all of it. 
It's called shalom, God's perfect peace. How many need some peace in your life? God's world during that time was at perfect peace. Nothing was broken. Nothing was leaking. Nothing needed to be fixed. There was no relationship strife. There was nothing wrong. What God made, He made it good and gave it peace. It's hard for us to imagine peace on this blue planet that we live on. Because you go and work out like Brother Rory did. And you wake up the next morning and you can barely move your legs. You're driving down the road and you're listening to worship music and someone cuts you off and you were in the presence of God and all of a sudden that old nature takes on and you're like, I'm going to run them down. You go from being peaceful to being angry. I saw a witness over here. You'll be at the gas pump pumping gas all of a sudden. You're not doing anything. All of a sudden, lust will come through your head. You're like, where did that even come from? Why, why am I angry? Why am I lustful? Why am I resentful? Where did that even come from? Because it's hard for us in this planet to, to think about peace because there's wars and rumors of wars. There, there are people, people killing each other. There's, there is uh, racism. There's all kinds of things in our world. We look at it and see how could there be any peace. But in God's world, none of that stuff existed. His world was good and it was at perfect peace. And God gave them a command. He gave Adam and Eve one rule. Not 50, but one. He said... This tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree because the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that's all he told them. He said, the world is yours. You can have whatever you want. Just don't eat of that tree. And we know the story. That tree began to be more desirable than all the other ones combined. And then we know that the serpent slipped Eve in line one day and said, did God really say that you shall surely die if you eat of any of these trees? No, not any of them, but just that one. If we touch it, we might even die. Oh, he's holding out on you. He knows that if you eat of the fruit of that tree, that you'll be a better God than them and than him. And, he, and it was at that time when she was deceived that she took the fruit and she sank her teeth into it. And then a collapse occurred because she handed it to Adam and Adam took the fruit and he went right along with her. And then all of these feelings that we know, shame, regret, fear, being ashamed of who they are, it came creeping through their veins for the very first time. All the sickness that we deal with, it comes from that moment in the garden. All of the fighting that we deal with comes from that moment in the garden. And you know what Adam and Eve did? Instead of running to the only one that could take care of it, they ran and they sowed fig leaves together and they hid from the presence of God, which is easily the most terrifying and sad verses in all the Bible. They run for the only one that can take care of it. Why? Why did they do this? They were trying to fix it themselves. They were trying to put it all back together themselves. And from that moment, from that moment, we have all done the same thing. We've tried our own way through a career, through an education, through a relationship. We keep drinking from wells that can never satisfy 
hoping that we can put what's wrong with us back together again. And here is the thing. You'll never be able. You don't know it. Even people that are not here today and they don't profess to be Christians, they don't even know why they're doing it. But somewhere within the heart of man, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God had put eternity in their hearts. They don't even know they realize it. But deep within the heart of man, they long for Genesis 1. And they long for Genesis 2. Walking with God into the cool of the day. Having peace in their life. And they're searching for answers and they don't know how to get it and they're trying to fix what's wrong with them. You'll never be able to fix what's wrong with you. God designed you at the very beginning to walk with Him and you will never ever get over your need of needing Him. You'll need Him every day of your life. Not just one time to get your hall pass into heaven, but you'll need Him every day. You need His strength. You need what only He can do. You need God. You need Him. Somebody lift your hands and lift your voice. We need God. If you read Genesis 1, one of the very first things that you see is that the world was dark, it was chaotic, it was void of anything good. But something happened. God moved. And then he spoke. And God has already proved once. You need to go back and remember that. Why am I taking you all the way back to that? Because I want you to know what you could be. But you cannot be what God has designed you to be unless God moves and speaks in your life. But he's already proven once that he can take what is dark and chaotic and void of anything good. He showed you at the very beginning. I can take that and I can breathe my life into it. And I can make all things good. You need God to breathe into your life today. You need the Spirit of God to move in your life. You don't need a preacher to preach you a good sermon. You need God to breathe into your life and take the chaos and the darkness and the void of your life. And make it good. It's only Him that can bring light into darkness. It's only God that can bring order into chaos. It's only God that can bring peace. And we desperately need the peace of God. And you read the Bible after Genesis 3. The rest of the Bible, all of it, fits into the narrative of God restoring all things. To wit, God was in Christ. Why? Reconciling, pulling the world back into himself. The rest of the Bible is about that. So when you pull a story off, off the pages of Scripture, you, you read into the book of Jonah. It's not just an arbitrary story. It's how God is redeeming and showing us how much he loves us and how much he cares for us and how he's trying to pull us back to him. The book of Jonah is very interesting. Very, most people, all they know is that God spoke to Jonah to go somewhere. He didn't go. So he got on a boat. The Lord sends a, sends a storm. They chunk him off the boat. He gets swallowed by a whale or a great fish. The fish spits him back up on, on the beach and he preaches. And that's what we know. That story, there's so many different things about that story that is absolutely fascinating. Many people think that whenever Jesus was telling the story of the two sons, prodigal son and the elder son, that he was using the book of Jonah as a place to talk about this. Because Jonah plays both the prodigal son and the elder son in both, both of them in the same story. Our narrative started when the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Is everybody okay? This is, an, this is weird why God would say this, but He tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim. 
And this was stunning that God would do this. First of all, because God called a Hebrew prophet to leave Israel and go to a Gentile city. This had never been done before. This had never, now God every once in a while would give a word to a pagan nation, but He never sent a prophet to go to a city and proclaim the word of the Lord. What was even more shocking is that God, the God of Israel, would warn Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, of impending doom. And the reason why this was, was weird because Assyria was one of the most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of the military victories. They would gloat about whole plains being littered with corpses and of cities burned completely to the ground. It was the Emperor Shalmazar III who was well known for depicting torture and dismembering and decapitations of his enemies and grisly details on stone relief panels. Many times after capturing an enemy, and the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and cut off one of their arms. And the reason they would do this is they left one arm so they could shake the arm, the hand of the victim that was dying on the battlefield. They cut out their tongues. They tied ropes on them and filleted them alive. Those who were able to survive all of this, uh, they were made to live uh, in, in cruel slavery. And yet it was to this nation that God sent His prophet on a missionary outreach. And though God told Jonah to proclaim against the city for his witness, so there would be no reason why God would warn them if there was not a way of escape. And Jonah knew this. He hated those people. He did not want to warn them, but he went because God made him. God was going to send a voice to that city. And the reason he was shown is that I'm either going to have mercy on a group of people like the Assyrians. Now the Ninevites, they were worshipers of a god by the name of Dagon. Dagon was a fish god. He had the head of a fish and the body of a man. And one day, the Ninevites are sitting on the beach, and they're getting a suntan, and the waves are rolling in. When here comes this huge beached whale, and as they're watching, this whale spits out, blah, spits out a guy who comes out saying, in 40 days, God's going to destroy this place. I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting on the beach one day, and a fish comes up and just spits this guy out and he starts preaching. I'll be like, what in the world just took place? They go and tell the king what happened. I said, they worshipped a fish god. And now a man comes out saying that God's amazing how God puts things together to minister to people right where they are. They tell the king. They tell him all about this. This guy gets so messed up that he says, nobody's going to eat. No one's going to drink anything. We're going to fast. We're going to proclaim a fast. We're going we're to ask. And he goes, who knows if this God will not have mercy on us? Who knows if he will not relent from destroying us? And you know what happens when these people pray? And when these people ask God to forgive them? You know what God does? He forgives them. Why? Because that's who God is. God can't change who He is. And John says God is love. He cannot change who He is. Jonah's so mad. 
You have to understand, if God sent me this morning to preach and the whole city comes, I'm going to be super pumped about that. If I was here this morning and all of Monroe came, I'm going to be super pumped about that. Jonah's not. He goes up, finds a place, a hill that he can overlook the city. And he is hoping in his heart that within 39 days, these people will turn back to their wicked ways and God will still destroy them. So God begins to mess with Jonah. The Bible says he causes this plant to grow up over his head. And it shaded him from the sun. And the Bible says that he was exceedingly glad for the Gordon. He was super pumped about that plant. And the Bible says that the Lord caused a worm to go down the next day into the dirt and eat the roots of that plant. That when the sun came up the next day, it withered and it died. Then God blows in some extreme heat. Vehement east wind comes in, blows in this crazy heat, and he is sweating. And he, he gets so hot, he passes smooth out. And when he wakes up, he starts having suicidal thoughts, and he says, I wish I'd just die. And then God says, hey, Jonah, do you have a right to be mad about a plant that came up and died within 24 hours? You didn't plan it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You have a right to be mad. And Jonah says, yeah, I have a right to be mad, even to the point of dying. He says, listen, Jonah, there are 120,000 people out there. Look at them. You're looking from the hip. There's 120,000 people out there that don't know the right hand from their left hand, and they got a bunch of cows, and that's the end of the story. That's it. Nineveh was a seaport town that had 600,000 people in it. In that town, there were 120,000 kids. Kids are the ones that don't know the right hand from the left hand. You can tell them to raise the right hand, they'll raise their left hand. They'll put their shoes on the wrong feet. God had a soft spot about these kids. They don't know any better, Jonah. They were born into this. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They were just born into this. They have no clue why they're being involved in the things that they're being involved in. They have no idea. They were just born into it. Kids, I understand why God has a soft spot for kids. I love kids. My, my boys make me laugh all the time. How many love kids? But what about cows? Why cows? Does, does the Lord like a good pair of leather shoes? or Does He like a leather bag? No, no. If you, if you study in Leviticus chapter number 1, the Bible said that if you had sin in your life, in order to have that forgiveness, if you had, an, there's only one way that it could be done: is you could take a cow from the herd and you bring it to the Lord voluntarily, and you you have it slain before the Lord, and then that's how you had atonement in your life. And so, what the Lord was saying is that if there's 120,000 people that don't know any better, they were just born into this, uh, and they have the ability to repent. Uh, I will not destroy them because I love them with an everlasting love. I know so many people that think that God is getting ready to give up on them. You were born into sin. You didn't have a choice. And you're now living in the, You don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. And you think sometimes God is getting ready to give up on me. He's getting ready to throw in the towel on me. But I want you to know, if you got one prayer of repentance in your heart, He will not give up on you because He loves you with an everlasting love. After I've served the Lord, there's times where I have failed. Anybody been there? 
And the old enemy comes in and says, the Lord's getting ready to throw in the towel on you. But if I look back at the Ninevehs, I've never cut somebody's legs off and one of their arms off and shaken their hands in a battlefield. I've never cut somebody's tongue. I've never done any of that. And if God will have mercy on that group of people, why wouldn't He have mercy on me? If He was willing to do that for them... So what? You looked at something you shouldn't have. So what? You were involved in something you should have been, shouldn't have been. God's telling you, don't do it anymore because it's harmful for your life. But never think, I'm going to give up on you. I love you with an everlasting love. robos. Mm. Deuteronomy 7. The Lord begins to speak to the nation of Israel. And within this, the Lord says, I did not love you because you were great. Matter of fact, when I found you, you had nothing to offer. I found you in the worst possible condition and I scooped you up. I didn't deliver you from the land of Egypt in the bondage that you were in because you were great and that you had something to offer me. No, I poured my love on you and because I loved you, that's why I delivered you. It had nothing to do with you. I loved you not because of who you were or what you've done. I loved you because I loved you. God does not love you because of who you can be and how great you are, or according to what you do or don't do, God loves you because He loves you, because He loves you, and that will never change. You're made in the image of God, and He loves you with an everlasting love. Been married to this girl over here for over 15, well, about to be 15. We've been over, been together for over 15 years, and there have been several times in our marriage that Ashley will say, Wes, do you love me? Think, of course I love you, baby. And then she asked this question. And you guys, you're, you're going to know. She says, well, why? This is a trap. Men, if you don't get anything else, if you listen to this, that is a trap. Because if I say... It's because you've got an hourglass figure, you hot. If I say, I love your cooking or, or uh, I love your personality, what, what happens if she puts on some weight? I said if, not when, if she ever does. What happens if, if she goes through something in life? What happens if she goes through a miscarriage? Which we have which puts you in a depression for a year. And you're not as happy as you... Well, then, because I I wasn't loving her because of her, just because I loved her, I was loving her for what she could give me. And if that ever changes, then my love goes away. God is not like that. He loves us not because of what we can give Him. He loves us because He loves us. And that will never, ever, ever change. I'm about to be done.
Everybody lift your hands for a moment. share this with you and then I'll, I'll close. Music wants to come. Jesus is giving, he's telling a parable in the gospel of Matthew. It's in this gospel that Jesus said that there was a particular field And there was wheat. And then when no one was looking, an enemy came in and began to sow tares into that field. Some people that were workers of the field looked at it and said, Who did this? Why are there we only planted good seed? Why is there tares here? And it's, the Lord said it's you you know, it wasn't because anybody sowed bad seed and enemies died. Should we gather up the, the tares and cast it in a fire? No, no, no. Leave it alone. Let it grow together. Because you'll destroy the good. I'm not interested in that. Wait until the harvest. And then at the right appointed time, I'll separate it. I'll burn the tares away. That field and that wheat was you and I. God only planted good seed. But then an enemy came in and sold things into our lives that were not good. And God is not willing to destroy you because you have both good and bad in you. At the appointed time, He'll take away that sin nature of your life. It's called the sounding of the trumpet. He goes on and he says, hey, there was a man that was going through a field. It's the same field. They think it's a different store. It's the same field. And he said, a man was going through a field and he found a treasure in the field. And for joy, he went and sold everything that he had to buy that field so he could have the treasure. And we think, we think that we're the ones going through the field and that we find the treasure in Jesus and we give everything we have for Him. But no, it's, it's the opposite. Jesus was going through a field and He found a treasure. You know who that treasure was? You. And for the joy, He went and gave His entire life so He could buy the field so He could have the treasure. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, Wherefore, seeing we could pass about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was before Him. He despised the shame. He, he endured the cross. Why did He do this? He put the shame and all of that in one hand and weighed it out. And He put... He put the joy that was before him, which was you in the other hand, and he says, they outweigh it all. I'll go through it all so I can buy the treasure. You are the treasure of God. God loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you. How many know that he loves you? 
You're the treasure of God. It was Jonah that prayed from the belly of the well, and he said two things. I remember the steadfast love of God and salvations of the Lord. When Jonah realized that nothing shall separate me from the love of God, that word steadfast love, it comes from a Hebrew word called hesed. And that is when God makes a covenant with His people that when they're good and bad and sickness and health, I'm in. I'm not leaving them. I'm not forsaking them. I love them with an everlasting love. When Jonah realized that God's affections towards me will never change according to what I do. What, look, I, I made some bad decisions and now I'm in the place that I'm in. But I remembered the Lord. I saw Him in His holy temple. I saw Him and I realized that He loved me. And I realized that I can't get out of this by myself. I can't get out of this brokenness by myself. I can't get out of this mess that I put myself in. I can't get out of this addiction by myself. I can't get out of this brokenness. But I know one who loves me. And salvation is of the Lord. It's what brought his deliverance when he realized, I can't fix what's broken. I can't get out of the belly of the fish. I can't get myself out of this. But I know one who loves me, and I know one who can. And it's God Almighty sitting on the throne of grace. You stand in this place. He said, I saw him sitting on the mercy seat. I've seen it. saw him in the temple. The mercy seat was made out of pure gold. It was the most costly object in the temple. Because God wanted you to know that mercy, it's costly. But it will outweigh every mistake you've ever made in your life. And oftentimes people think the Lord is going to give up on them, but I want you to know that God paid a lot for you. There's times my boys, I've bought them these little bitty toys that maybe like 50 cents, 75 cents. If, I, if something ever happens to one of those toys, do you think I get down and begin to try to fix it and spend all day, Brother Chance, trying to figure out what's wrong with this? No, I just discard it. You want to know why? Because it's cheap. But if I ever buy something, if I buy a vehicle or I buy something and something goes wrong with it, I take the time to fix it. You want to know why? Because I paid a lot for it. I got a lot invested in it. And many of us, we think whenever something goes wrong and something breaks in our life, uh, that God is going to discard us and be done with us. But I want you to know that you cost a whole lot. He paid a whole lot for you. He didn't throw down 50 cents for you. No, he took nails in his hands. He took a nail in his feet. He took a crown of thorns on his head. Why? Because he loved you and said, I'm going to pay a lot for them. And when you mess up, God does not discard you because he paid a lot. May feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I tell you this story, and then I want you to come to the altar if you feel the Holy Ghost. My little boy, Weston, whenever he was about four years old, we had pulled up minivan. Our super cool ride, the minivan. And we'd gotten groceries at the grocery store. 
so the little hatch had come up in the back, and we were pulling stuff out. And he wanted to help, so I'd give him a bag of potato chips, and he'd carry it in. He just wanted to be a part. When I wasn't paying attention, I was just I had my mind on other stuff. He had found a 10-pound bag of potatoes, and he had pulled it out of the van. And when he pulled it out of the van, he went. Poof. It was heavy. And he was rearing back with all that he had for the chance, and he was pulling. And when he would pull, that bag of potatoes would go. He would gear up again. He'd get down. He'd pull that bag. He's pulling for all that he was worth, but he wasn't getting anywhere. But he did something that changed everything for him. He finally looked up at his dad and said, Dad, will you help me? I said, sure I will, buddy. I picked him up first and then took the bag of potatoes and I carried them both into the house. You know what? I did not look at that boy and say, I can't believe you can't carry that. I can't believe you can't do that. I didn't mock him, no. I picked him up. You want to know why? Because that's my boy and I love him. And whatever I can carry for him, I'm going to carry for him. You're God's child. You're made in His image. The world broke you. It was broken since Genesis 3. And now you're trying to carry all this stuff, all of this confusion, all of this hurt, and you can't figure out why you can't carry it. You don't have to. God said, cast your cares on me. Throw it on me because I care for you. Is there anybody in this place you've been carrying something? You've been carrying a hidden sin. You've been carrying something that you can't forgive somebody of. You've been carrying an addiction in your life. You've been carrying some hurt in your life. You've been carrying some stress and some worry and some fear. You don't have to carry that any longer. Today is your day that you can throw it down at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because He loves you and you can't carry it anyway. You were not designed to carry it. You were were meant to throw it in on Him because salvation is of the Lord. I wonder if you can just begin to make your way to the altar with your hands lifted. Whoever needs a blessing from God today, He is here to meet you. There are going to be people here to pray with you today. I wonder if you would come and let the presence of God begin to move on your life. If you feel the Holy Ghost drawing you, just begin to make your way down. And we're going to pray for you today. God is moving in a powerful way. That's it. Come on, that's it. In the name of Jesus. He loves you with an everlasting love. He wants to bless you today.